Hi there, and welcome to the Interiors Podcast with Tanya Neufeld Flanagan. This show is all about informing and inspiring Irish homeowners and buyers on all things around property, house, and home, from self building to choosing flooring. In each episode, we interview industry experts and homeowners to give you practical advice and the motivation to create and elevate your spaces. Welcome to episode 11 of the Interiors Podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Neufeld Flanagan. I'm an interior designer here in Dublin. And this podcast interviews industry professionals as well as homeowners like yourself who are out on the buying and renovating journey and are here to impart some juicy information. Today, we have Kira and Richie of the Instagram account, How Stella Got Her House Back. And welcome, guys. I'm so glad to have you here today. Thanks for having us. Howdy. Thanks. So tell us, what is this Instagram account about? Who, uh, who is Stella? Also, first of all, because <laughs> that was my first question. I was like, why? what does Stella have to do with this house? They're, they're not called Stella. <laughs> Stella is our dog, our little golden retriever. And she arrived on the scene uh, about a month after we moved into the house originally. So she's very much a, a part of the fabric of, of the whole journey. And to be fair, uh, when you're looking for Instagram account names online these days, there's not much room left for uh, for originality. So we went down the, the house Stella got her groove back reference kind of side of things. Cute. Oh, and, and that's because you, you bought the house, lived in it, and then moved out for the renovation, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We were in the house for eight months. Yeah. Eight months before we moved out. Okay. And for those of you who might be curious about the account, that's how Stella got her house back. And you might have seen pictures of it. Um, it has a very standout pink extension. Uh, and it's so cool. I remember seeing it and, and I couldn't believe it was in Dublin. Uh, we'll have to talk about how you got planning because it's so unique. It's such a nice different approach to the standard glass boxes we see everywhere. So let's take a few steps back and tell us a little bit more about what led you to decide to buy and a little bit more about that journey and how you ended up on this house and planning this renovation. So I think we started looking at buying around the end of September 2019. So this was all before COVID hit the world. Yeah. And I think we weren't really in a major rush. We were renting an apartment in Bullsbridge that we were really, really happy in. But it was kind of just future planning. We just kind of decided, okay, we're happy here, but maybe we should start taking a look at houses. And to be fair, I think Richie probably deserves most of the credit for that. <laughs> um, and we were quite lucky. We were looking for about six months. We bid on a few different houses. And then we found this house. I think we went sale agreed on, it was Valentine's Day, as far as I remember, in February 2020. Wow. Very soon after hit by the pandemic, which kind of delayed our sale going through. And then we went, we closed in July 2020, moved in in August we lived here for about eight months. So in that time, we met with our architect, Courtney. We went about getting planning permission, planning all the financials. And then our work kicked off in May 2021. I took about a year. So it finished up in April 2022, which coincided with our wedding, which was at the start of May. And which you had in the house. <laughs> and there's the whole project in a nutshell. So uh, you, can, you can cut the podcast well, there. <laughs> Okay, cool. So you were for six months, you were looking for a house and you were bidding on a few. Were you disheartened on those houses you were bidding on? Or at the end of the day, like, was there something you pulled out? Tell us a little bit more about that. Because I know a lot of people 
they go in, they bid on a few houses, they lose. And they, they honestly, they're like, you know what? That was so disheartening. Let's just give it a break. I know so many friends have done that. So tell me a little bit more about that process. Yeah, well, we were still, while we were looking around at houses in the market, we were still trying to assess where we were as a couple and what we really wanted. I was very much driving the, I want to make something mine. Whereas Kira would have been happier to find somewhere that she liked that didn't require a year's worth of living with the (laughs) in-laws. So we were kind of working through that and kind of getting a feel for ourselves and what was available on the market. And it just, as the more we looked, the more we realized that we were never going to be happy with any house that we, that wasn't, you know, didn't have our fingerprints all over it. So that really dictated the direction we went. Yeah. No, one thing that I, that jumps out at me when I look back at our bidding process, we bid on two houses before we bid on this house. I really, really loved both of them. Richie did too. Obviously we wouldn't be aggressively bidding on houses unless we were really, really committed to the house. And in both cases we lost out because the bids just went, I mean, one of them I think went over 110 over asking. And this is obviously almost three years ago, so things could even be worse now. Um, But I would say that we were devastated after that first house, us losing out on that. We moved on to the second house. I actually liked that even more, devastated then. And then we were bidding on this house. We ended up liking this house anymore. So obviously things are tough out there, but I think my advice would probably be keep trying. Um, We felt very disheartened, but ultimately this eventually worked out for us. At at the time, if one more person said, you know, what's for you won't pass you to us, we would have lost our (laughs) Yeah. But the worst thing is, looking back on it, they're all so right. Um, and it's yeah, it's it's really difficult to not get emotionally, like heavily emotionally involved in each house. Because if you're bidding, you're making a huge life-changing decision. So you're all in. And you start to convince yourself more and more as well. And you start to picture your life together in this, this, this new home. You're imagining what you can do to it, how you can make it yours. So it's just such a stressful process. It is, it is really stressful. In terms of those houses that we bid on, we got to the point where we were, we decided that we wanted something that we could make our own. So we were bidding only on houses that had potential, that had characteristics that we, that we really liked, that thing, you know, we were, every time we were bidding on something in our heads, we were thinking, okay, well, this is an interesting plot shape. We could do something really cool here. We could flip, you know, the back garden becomes the front garden type thing. Um, or, you know, or we can create some kind of cool garden room or we can, whatever the, the particular plot threw up, we were imagining what we could do to it. So that was really dictating the choices of the houses we were bidding on at the time as well. Mm, interesting. And I know you're both solicitors, but do you have like kind of creative hobbies? Because that already seeing your house and hearing that, that's kind of a very creative out of the box approach to take to, to houses early on. So obviously it wasn't just the architect who influenced you. Do you guys have like, are you really into design and architecture? Yeah, I think I feel bad. I think lawyers obviously have a really bad name when it comes to (laughs) creativity or taste. Um, It it seems that way because everyone's really surprised when they find out we're lawyers. Yeah, like it's definitely a shared interest with both of ours. I've been obsessed with interiors for a long time. I'd say probably since I was a teenager. Um, and then I think Richie, maybe more so over recent years, we've gotten so into TV shows like Room to Improve, Great House Revival, Home of the Year, all those kind of shows. And yeah, it's definitely a massive shared interest of ours. Yeah, we're the, we're the Dermot Bannon generation is the reality here. 
Yeah, same. <laughs> so we have we've loved watching him uh, work away on Room to Improve over the years, and you've taken inspiration and bit by bit from each house, and it's just kind of it's created a passion there for for a lot of our generation. My brother renovated a house. 15 years ago and he regularly says that when they got that renovated like it's a lovely house and they've extended etc a very similar size and shape to our own but they had no interest in the level of detail or the process etc that if they were doing it now they likely would have so it, right. it's yeah. very much a different time now in the in the market and the industry yeah and the pandemic i think only accelerated that for people who didn't have that that passion before yeah 100% so I know you told me a little bit before we hit record about the kind of criteria you developed and how you started learning about extensions through visiting all these houses and, and the bidding process. So did you know your criteria before? And tell us a little bit about that criteria. And one thing you haven't mentioned, which is hugely important in Dublin, uh, where, you're, where the house is, by the way, is neighborhoods, because that is, you know, as we all know, you you change one number on on a zip code here and, you know, the, the prices can balloon. So tell us a little bit more about your criteria and neighborhoods. I think I probably drove that um, in a way. So we are living in Stillorgan. I'm from Kilmacud, um, which is obviously beside Stillorgan. Um, so in terms of the areas we were looking at, we were kind of looking at all the areas around here. So Dundrum, Churchdown, Stillorgan, Kilmacud, Mount Marion. Um, it also was convenient that Richie's brother also lives in Kilmacud. So Richie was familiar with the area. And then we were really, really attracted by this house because it's really close to the shopping centre. And since we moved in, I cannot tell you how handy it is to be close to shops and amenities. Um, It's something I think if anyone was looking for a house now and their house happened to be near a pharmacy or a shop or a shopping centre, it's incredibly handy. That was a big learning because it wasn't as high up our tick box list at the beginning was being near a hub. Mm. we were very much focused on the house and the site in a vacuum and they were our priorities and now living where we live and being able to walk to you know a bank or a pub or a shop or whatever it is it's just it changes your life being you know we're two minutes away from a big center but now in fairness we're also in a cul-de-sac so we have somehow landed on our feet and got the best of both worlds um, so we're in a very privileged position when it comes to to that side of things. You know, I agree. I think it's really important, especially, you know, you, you said you were living in Ballsbridge and I assume both of you were working in town before the pandemic to give up that freedom when you, and when you decide to move out to the burbs, a lot of people then get obsessed with the square meters and the bedrooms and they end up in an estate that has nothing near it except 10 other estates. So I think that's that's really important. And I agree uh, where we and we're we're living now, we bought it almost at the same time as you. It's it's almost a 10 minute walk to the closest shop. And that makes a huge difference because we used to live on Bath Avenue. And it, 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 you know, it seems like, oh, you're so spoiled, like 10 minute walk, but it makes a huge difference to little tasks busy lives that only get busier really I think the best example is you know when you're making dinner and you've got everything lined up and you realize last minute that you're missing one ingredient knowing that there's a shop around the corner is just the handiest thing in the world that's that's one of the ways I just I love living so yeah (laughs) it's a very real world example because I usually forget to get something off the shopping list I'm given (laughs) 
<laughs> for for us, the important thing is the after dinner. I want something sweet, and there's we don't keep ice cream in the house. <laughs> Emergency <laughs> or ice at the barbecue. <laughs> okay, so you developed the the criteria. Tell us a little bit more about that. So there's the amenities, and there's a few others. So walk us through those, and um, and then let's hear a little bit more about the house because we haven't even gotten to the one you chose. Yeah, well, look, sure, we'll, we'll do a quick fire, I suppose, through the through the tick box itself um, in terms of what we were looking for. Like, I suppose key for most people is orientation. You know, that's not a that's not a revelation. You, people tend to want sun as much as possible on the back of the house or the space where they're going to spend time. Mm-hmm. So, again, we landed on our feet with the south southwest facing house. So the sun travels around from the back of the house on one side and finishes up in the evenings on the other side at the back of the house. So we, you know, we're very lucky and that allows you then to kind of plan around the back of the house and create something interesting because you know, you'll be spending time there. So you can, you can invest your money there. You can, and you know, it's not wasted and you won't end up sitting in a different room for the day. We also, we we touched on the nearer hub that was way down the, the bottom of our list, but I actually was kind of obsessed with having side access um like really obsessed and it had to be i had to be able to retain that side access after we extended as well yeah i get that for building but why afterwards just so that you're not carrying things in and out of the house we have a golden retriever so when we go out for a walk in the wintertime with stella she comes back as if she's just been part of world war ii and you don't want, you don't want to be dragging her back through the house covered in mud so you can wash. So I wanted somewhere that we had you know bins in the side passage out of view and somewhere mm. that you could wash the dog as well. And that's where the side passage comes in. So existing side access that there was a little lane already in the house that you could work around. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Then I think another big thing for us, which again we got really lucky with this house, we knew that we did want to do some work. And we wanted to have a decent sized garden. So therefore, if we were going to be extending out, we kind of needed a pretty large garden. Yeah. As I mentioned to you earlier, we got quite lucky with this site because it's actually on a bend. So it means the garden's quite wide as well as being long. Yeah. That's another tip. Look out for a house on a bend. <laughs> very, 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 niche, very niche and specific tip. <laughs> Only shot yeah. on bends. <laughs> um, okay, cool. And so the tell us about the house then and the condition it was in. I suppose in terms of while we were house hunting, we viewed a house on the road that we ended up buying on. And we we arrived on the road to, for the viewing and we just we loved it. It had like having a, a cul-de-sac was kind of was was on our wish list. It was a like a really nice to have bonus type thing because uh, there are only so many cul-de-sacs around. But we arrived in the road and we thought immediately just how gorgeous it was. It was lovely tree-lined road, classic three-bed semi-Ds on one side and kind of dormer um, bungalows on the other side. And we viewed the house and it was a gorgeous house that had been recently renovated. And as a result, they'd eaten up most of their back garden um, and it was facing mm. kind of the opposite way to where we what we were hoping for. So we we left it kind of humming and hawing over whether we'd bid or not. And we just said, no, let's stick to our guns. We've been in the market long enough. And about two months later, a house on the opposite side of the road came up for sale. And we bid pretty much straight away on it. Uh, so it was kind of it was kind of as if it was written in the stars. <laughs> yeah. And I think especially when you're more seasoned in the buying journey, 
we're, we're looking for a project house now. And the more you kind of get used to, okay, something else will come around and watching the flow of like, there's so much out there. Like the inventory is insane and being able to actually stick to your criteria and be patient. Like you, you have to kind of not have this kind of FOMO or scarcity mindset in order to just wait and something else will crop up. That is exactly what you, what you were looking for. Um, so I think that's good. You set a good example. Yeah, we were in the lucky position that we were in an apartment that we loved down in, in the barracks in Beggar's Bush. And we were so at that, oh, cool. yeah. So at that stage of our lives, we were, um, you know, we were very much enjoying having the the likes of Paulies and uh, and lots on Bath Avenue, etc., all around us, and it was just it suited us very well. Uh, yep, I can see oh, you smiling there. It's so an amazing area. <laughs> yeah. Oh, lots is a dangerous place, though. You probably saved a lot of money since you've left Beggars Bush. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but they opened in Terra here while we were staying with my uh, in my family home in Temple Oak. So we we made up following you. Waiting for the day. I'm praying that they will open in Oregon one day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Okay. So the house came up and yeah. So tell me, so it had the, the, it hadn't been extended. What condition was it in? I know it's a, it's a 1950s and is it a semi-D or is it a terrace? It's a semi-D. So it was built okay. in 1950. Um, it was a three bed semi-D south facing side access. So Richie was very happy. And yeah, no, it was in really good condition. Um, the previous owners okay. had done a lot to the house. They'd maintained the condition pretty well, um, which obviously meant that we could move in before we started any work. And as well, mm-hmm. the garden was an absolute dream. They, um, I don't think they were that into gardening, but at the same time, they'd kept the garden really well. It was literally just a big, square, well-kept grass lawn. So we didn't have to deal with the expense of kind of uprooting trees or bushes or anything, which was really handy. Um, yeah. And then we just took the next kind of eight months living in the house to assess what we wanted to do but no it was in great condition when we moved in oh that's good and what what uh square meters and ber was it it was 120 square meters and b e or i think it was an f okay Not great and was it cold it was pretty cold yeah i used i used to work <laughs> in the in the kitchen a lot and the, the main reason being was because there was a radiator right beside the table so I'd have to be huddled up against the radiator in order to get any warmth so yeah it was it was pretty freezing yeah it, it was it was ready for renovating it was the one of those it was kind of like your you know the if you live in like I grew up in a three-bed semi-d but it kind of felt like that family home that you know had been well kept but never renovated yeah so there was lots there was lots to be done even though it looked nice and clean and neat yeah and I think something nice about homes like that is there actually haven't been shoddy jobs covered up, like like a shitty extension done in the 70s and then another shitty one in the 90s. And then you have to unpeel so many layers of crap that never got planning or things like that. So there's something good about it being untouched that way. Yeah, it felt like a blank canvas, which was kind of exactly what we wanted. So we we definitely looked out. Yeah, and 120 square meters, and the garden looks huge. That's a nice like house to garden ratio. Yeah, and that was a big consideration when we were renovating. We we played with the dimensions of the extension so much because we didn't want to lose that space, and especially for Stella, she'd just go out and get the zoomies, and you wouldn't need to bring her to the garden. <laughs> she'd, she'd be doing laps of the garden for hours. Um, so we really we didn't want to take that away from her. To be honest with you. Yeah, because um, it's a nice it's a nice luxury to have if you're if you need to get a bit of exercise into the dog's legs, but you don't have time to get her out into the park or the near green areas. 
for sure. This is also happening through the pandemic. So you you closed in July of 2020. So things were still very uncertain during that time. So you're living in it, starting to plan the renovation during the pandemic. Was the pandemic, did that inform the decision to live in it and not try to renovate immediately? Because it just like, it wouldn't have been possible. Or did you know you needed to live in the space first? Or you didn't want to be paying rent? Tell us more about that. Because a lot of people just want to jump into the renovation immediately. Kind of like our relationship, I suppose. There's We have two very different personalities like in this regard I want everything immediately done and finished completely <laughs> and I would have I would have dived straight into renovation if I could Kira definitely pushed for let's live in it for a little while at least uh yeah my mindset was I don't need to I know exactly what I want to do with this I've been thinking about this house for the last five years I know exactly where I want everything to go um I know exactly what the light's going to do I know where where you know where we'll have our couch, all that kind of stuff. But we ended up realizing that, yeah, given the time, given the state of affairs as well at the time, well, we probably would have to live there. And we, it was actually yeah. towards the end of our viewing uh, of houses as well. We were, we had started looking at houses in the light of, you know, is it in good enough condition to comfortably move in just by whitewashing a living room and a bedroom so that we have two nice, comfortable rooms to spend time in. Yeah. So, and the house met that criteria. Did you decide you were going to go with a certain architect during that period? So from July, so when you got the keys, that's when you started the whole planning process? Yeah, we'd been in kind of brief discussions with um, a couple of architects, I think around the time we went sale agreed. And our architect, Courtney McDonald, was friends from work. And we'd spoken to a couple of architects at the time, really liked a lot of their portfolios, but we ultimately decided to go with Courtney because of the recommendation. I think we'd kind of heard a lot of horror stories, um, even from people we know about people falling out with their architects, people having to switch architects mid-build. So the fact that we knew someone that had worked with Courtney, liked her work, got on with her, was a big kind of driving factor for us. So yeah, I think we probably started, we went sale agreed in February. We probably met Courtney in and around the summer and she asked us to provide kind of like a wish list, a mood board of the things we were interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we kind of just went from there. And it's in fairness now, it's it's probably doing Courtney a disservice by saying the reason we went with her is because she was recommended. Like it, it was definitely a something that tipped us, uh, tipped the scales in her favor massively. Yeah. When we spoke to Courtney, she was very much she was kind of she was our generation, and she was a young woman starting, you know, her her own studio as well. That we liked the idea of supporting that. It was great that we'd received good recommendations about her. And also then when I was even negotiating with her and discussing kind of fees and things like that, I was just really impressed with how she conducted herself and stood her ground. And I remember after our final negotiation, getting off the phone to Kira and going and saying, I, I want that architect representing me uh, on a site in front of builders. And that that kind of that was that. Amazing. And did you know before you started like chatting with her? Did you know what the renovation might cost? Like, had you done a little bit of research when you were buying the house to be like, okay, we think it's going to cost between, you know, 2,500 and 3,000 per square meter for the extension. Were there any kind of baseline numbers you were working with so that it wasn't a big shock when you started looking at the, the reality? I think, to be honest with you, there's no way you can undertake this process without ultimately living the big shock over and over again. Uh, like it's tough it's and it becomes monopoly money at the end of the day like you just 
yeah. you, you lose complete sight of the fact that you've saved five, six, seven years uh, for, for, you know, to spend this money on a couch all of a sudden. And you're kind of going, this is madness. <laughs> we had, I suppose we had a, an inkling at a, at a time because we had reached out um before before we'd even started looking at houses we'd reached out to a few places that did kind of the all-in design build package mm-hmm. and they told us oh yeah you know 250 grand we'll get you a double fronted convert your attic you know the whole shebang extension at the back so we kind of went into it thinking that was our extension budget um, and we'd get all those things then when it came down to it uh, you know a few architects kind of laughed us off the phone when we said that was our budget for what we wanted to do so it, uh, yeah, there, there was a there was a difference between expectation and reality when we got there. Okay, Th- then the architect kind of helped you plan out the reality of it. Yeah, Courtney did a did her own kind of rough cost plan to begin with, and then encouraged us to engage a QS at least to get a a, a professional cost plan done, uh, which we did, and we worked closely then with the QS to kind of to whittle that down. To, you know, to get things off there, to see where we could move budget back and forth and what we could afford to to spend uh, in terms of on lavish finishes and not so lavish finishes, that kind of thing. It still, yeah, I suppose, it still exceeded that when we went to site because when we, like we're, we're jumping ahead here, but the reality is no matter what your budget is, you always want something that's in the next bracket. Yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> it can be hard to choose things as well. So, you know, in your budget, okay, we've got allocated, say, 55 euro per square meter per tile and then you could go down to the tile place you're looking at tiles you find tiles you absolutely love and then they're 80 euro it's like what do i do do i have to start all over again so sometimes you do end up stretching the budget and what sounds generous in your budget ultimately actually isn't that generous when you look at what's available and what you actually want yeah and (laughs) yeah and like that 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 creep that little price creep even if it seems small you're saying okay let's do an 80 tile instead of a 55 per square meter it's only, you know, it's only 10 square meters will be fine type thing or whatever it is. It, you start applying yeah. that rationale to every finish in the house and all of a sudden you've doubled your budget. So you really do need to stay on top of it. But the QS, the, the getting the cost plan done itself, I think with a cost plan, it might set you back between 1,000 and 1,500 euro maybe. It definitely gives you a good, strong guideline basis. And it also allows you to really interpret the tenders you receive back with with a, with something to reference against. I was going to add, I think as well, if it is within your budget, now it ultimately wasn't in ours, we decided we wouldn't. But if it is within your budget, I think maybe getting a QS for the build could be a good idea because that's probably one of the parts of the build that can get quite out of control. It can be a little bit stressful. Now, Richie was phenomenal. He ended up, basically being our QS for the build and he had so many different spreadsheets he was keeping an eye on costs left right and center but I know if that was me if, it was, if I was doing it on my own I definitely wouldn't have been able to do that so if someone was considering getting a QS and they're not that comfortable with financials and figures I nearly would say try and find some money in your budget to pay for QS yeah and I think the like we were talking about where the Dermot Bannon generation we've seen we've seen that that um price creep in real life and we see the QSs negotiate on people's behalf also and especially when things go wrong or contractors trying to charge for something it seems like an an extra safety layer so if you decided to opt for the QS for the whole build do you know what something like that might cost compared to the one-off cost plan I think 
I think at the time, I see, I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it, we were quoted between, it was maybe 10 or 12,000. That's ringing a bell with me. Yeah. I thought it was there. It's... So at the at the outset, that's you're like, oh, here's another big professional fee. The architects is obviously a, a nice percentage. So I see why you were like, no, we'll manage this ourselves. Yeah, because you you really are. You're already working off like a tight budget. No, no matter what your budget is, it's a tight budget for yeah. what you're trying to achieve <laughs> is usually the reality. So it needs to, it needs to be meticulous. And when you're hit with these professional fees at the beginning, it's so frightening. And it feels like you you really want such strong, concrete justifications for outlay of that size. When you're thinking, hold on, that could be the difference between me having solid wood floors or me having an extra couple of square meters in my utility room. It's tough at the time to make those decisions. And I think that's where the architects themselves massively suffer, uh, is that perception. Because their fee is, it's a big fee when you just take it in a vacuum. but when you work with an architect, especially one who's worth their salt and and gives you value for money, you see the amount of effort, the amount of emails, the amount of phone calls, the amount yeah. of man hours or woman hours that go into the, you know your project. You know, at, at the at the end of our project, I turned to Kira and I actually said, "She called we massively underpaid Courtney." Um, <laughs> if Courtney's listening now, I I deny that. Um, but genuinely used in court <laughs> and yeah and courtney uh there's Aoife grogan was another architect who worked with courtney in courtney studio and i managed to weasel my way into her whatsapp so you know i i was basically like she was she was on call for me all day long with every question i'd be out shopping for furniture and i'd say if any chance you send me a 3d of a couch this size and shape in the room and she'd ping me it back on whatsapp a couple of minutes later so I don't wow. think you're not going to get that from every architect and uh, Aoife probably won't. Yeah. I don't Aoife Aoife probably it. won't do that again for the next client either. <laughs> but yeah, so it, it was well worth the, the outlay in the end, getting the architect. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've had a lot of conversations on the podcast about like when to hire an architect, when to DIY it, when to hire an interior designer, when to hire both. And I think a lot of people don't realize that the architect isn't just there to do some pretty plans and a beautiful thing and then walk away. They are the project manager and they do this every day. What they do is walk on sites and talk with builders and talk with like, they're, they're that link in between and the project management is invaluable because, you know, you're both working full-time. Most people undertaking renovations have no idea what they're doing because they're not architects or builders um, and they're busy at a job. So I agree that, that, that's a um you have to factor in all those hours when you look at that big fee and the amount of money it could save you to have that person there yeah the the project management side of it people think is a luxury but we are organized people and we put a lot of effort into all the organizational side of this house and we were we had our fingers in in every corner and every nook and cranny much to the the chagrin of of Courtney and Eva at times but we were so heavily involved that it's it's hard to believe that other people could do it without an architect because of the amount of work the architects did on top of the amount of work we did. It really I find it fascinating to be honest with you, looking back on it, because the amount of emails and phone calls I made to suppliers and trades 
And there, there are those days when you're really struggling under the weight of the amount of things you're trying to get done and the amount of details you want to get right. And you ping a message across to the architect and they already know five good suppliers as opposed to you spending an hour online looking up those suppliers and trying to find ones and then wondering, are they any good at their jobs? What will they you know, overcharge us and underperform? Um, and your architect has already dealt with them 10 times and they know the story straight away. Yeah, and I think that is honestly one of the like most emotionally draining things and and we spoke about this before um we hopped onto the podcast you said one thing you want people to know is that builders and trades can be very because of the nature of that of the industry and the way they work can be very unpredictable and it can be very frustrating and erratic um you know people will never arrive things and people will never be there when they say they will be and you know especially if you work in corporate, especially if you're a lawyer, you're just like, well, this is the way this runs. And when that arrives, this will be done. So many things are dependent on that thing happening. Um, and it just has this snowball effect of people letting you down. And the the reality is, like you said, if you choose, a, you know, people that have been vetted by your architect that they've worked with a million times, you can trust that that's actually going to get done, even if it's still delayed and not the way you thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. Look, if you're renovating a house, that's just par for the course. Uh, as yeah. much as we shouldn't have to accept it. Um, and yeah. as an industry, like that's, that's an issue is that people just say, Oh, look, that's the way it is. You can't do anything about it. Yeah. It's a ridiculous stance for this one industry to be. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but, it's ridiculous. But at the same time, uh, yeah, no, you, you can you can build a good team around yourself through through recommendations um and i do like to try and like i think i mentioned this to you already like try to kind of build a bit of ownership as well in the team around you so that you know they they realize just how much they're contributing to your house and what the end product is going to look like even at times on our build our contractor hadn't seen some of the 3ds and he wasn't oh, wow. he wasn't fully aware of what he was building at times and certain details and stuff. And we when we showed him, he was like, "Oh my god, that looks so cool!" And you're kind of going, "Yeah, this is this is what you're contributing for us. Like this is these man hours that you're putting in are are going to pay off, and you're going to create something really special." Yeah. So just kind of like not treating them like just another, you know, p- member of staff that's just chipping away at this job, but rather bringing them in and being like, this is what you're creating. This is a whole, you know, this matters a lot to us. Look how cool it is. We respect your, your trade and what you're doing to bring this to life. And it's, it's hard for people not to get emotionally invested, especially when it's such a cool project. So as you were um, looking at this costing plan, one thing I'm, I'm always curious about is where did you decide to like, okay, we're actually not going to do the air to water heat pump or we're not going to do the underfloor heating because we want to have a bigger extension tell us about some of these trade-offs early on and i think here we'll probably talk a little bit about you know some of the design and the technical things where did you decide to save a little and where did you decide to spend more I think the only thing that really jumps out of my mind is something that we would have really liked to do and we just didn't have the budget was obviously we would have loved to have done a double fronted extension and create a fourth bedroom so mm. our house now, it's a relatively big house. It's 170 square meters, but the vast majority of that is downstairs. So upstairs, when you walk up the stairs and you see how smaller upstairs is, it can kind of feel a bit strange. So we have two decent sized doubles, decent sized bathroom, and then quite a small single room. But obviously it would have been nice to extend over the garage, maybe put a fourth bedroom on, 
walk-in wardrobe that would obviously be the dream but at the time I think the costs we were being quoted were just insane so we decided that was something that we were just going to have to put on hold and we just put the money into doing an extension and refurbing the house to a higher standard rather than pushing for the stretching exactly yeah the figures the figures were prohibitive at the time um because there's so many things that get tacked on especially when you go up to that second story in terms of scaffolding etc and supporting the the existing walls so these these things all just add on cost before you even see bricks being laid so that's that second story and we got we we did get plans drawn up and we kind of have it as a phase two in the background okay so we tried to not preclude ourselves from building that second story when we were actually designing the downstairs area okay so the architect amended the plan so that this could always be slotted in at a future date like structurally it could work and you don't have to undo tons of what you did right essentially yes that was we asked that to be a consideration one of the one of the skylights we made a bit bigger in the end so like if we did extend that would probably be something that have to be the one over the kitchen would have to be shortened a bit but that's the only major major sacrifice we'd have to make i think if we went to a phase two okay that's pretty cool i like that a lot and um what else what else did you choose like let's say i don't know the underfloor heating or the engineered floors versus solid wood where did you or you know it's a big extension so i'd love to understand how you made that happen yeah um well we we did pull the extension back in um by a, a meter or two from its from from its original floor pan um that was partly because of wanting to being a bit scared we were taking up too much garden but also mm. because it was an instant saving of like 20,000 euro um wow so pull yeah but when you have the the width and you just pull it back in by a meter you know you're saving 10 square meters off you know a 10 meter wide house so you save, you do, you, like when you look at it on the ground, you're thinking that's actually not a huge amount of space. But when it becomes new build and you're working against whether it's 2,500 per square meter or whatever the the, the going prices are, it, it is a saving. So that was something we did. We uh, we had originally gotten quoted for the the rear extension the to be a poured concrete which is something and a, te- a technique or a finish that I think is used a lot more so in kind of commercial buildings, like high rise, et cetera, where they're trying yeah. to, where, you know, cause they, they can they pour the concrete and they can erect a building in much quicker time because they have big portions of walls go in. We, to get those precise angles that we were looking for, that was definitely going to be the best option and to get the strength, but it was three times the price of bricks and mortar. So it was astronomical. It, was ultimately yeah astronomical and had to come straight out of the first cost plan. And I think we were kind of like, disappointed with that at the start was because like the back of our extension, which maybe we'll get to a little bit later, but it's it's kind of unusual. It's a pink extension. And originally when Courtney showed us the inspiration, it was all these concrete buildings in Mexico and Spain that looked amazing. So we got really kind of emotionally attached to the idea of the pink concrete. And then when we realized we couldn't do that, both of us were quite concerned. Well, if we can't do this, what's the substitute? Um, and thankfully, we did ultimately come up with a pretty decent substitute. But that was something that was quite disappointing. But because of the cost, we knew we just couldn't go ahead. It was kind of an easy decision. It was so astronomical to be able to afford it. Yeah. And so it's it's brick that's been rendered and painted, right? Yeah, it's your standard uh, st- standard <laughs> extension construction. 
within the render finish is essentially your standard cement render, but we didn't finish it smoothly with a trowel. We use it was sponged to get the texture. Um, and we cool. worked we worked on five or six different color samples as well to try and get variations of the, the exact color we wanted through it as well. So there's texture and depth. Um, we didn't want it to look like it was painted pink. That was yeah. That was the key. Yeah. Well, I didn't know when you when you started telling me about the poured concrete. I wasn't sure that you were going to say, and we weren't able to to do it. So you fooled me. <laughs> um, okay, and so let's talk about the the design side a little. So just to recap, um, one thing there that you said, which I think is really important, is you revised the size of the extension marginally with huge savings. Um, you decided not to do a second floor and to phase out parts of the renovation and just certain materials like going you know, the emitting the the poured concrete, which people are also now obsessed with, with the floors. So a lot of people are like, oh, I want the poured concrete and the polished floors. Then they get the prices of it and they go for, you know, porcelain tiles that look like it. Um, so I think these are great learnings for, for people and to realize you can still execute your big vision with some edits along the way. Um, but tell us a little bit then about how the how you came to the point where you ended up with, with a pink extension. I know on your Instagram, there's a pink door that set you off on this journey. So tell us a little more there because um, I love the idea of some detail creating a whole theme because I think that's how you get something really personal and unique rather than something that looks like everyone else's extension. Yeah, I would say, yeah, it definitely started with a pink door. So that goes back to the time when Courtney asked us what our wish list was, what our inspiration was, and we compiled a mood board with loads of different ideas. And one of the ideas that we included was that we both, for whatever reason, thought it might be cool to have a pale pink door. And just to say, neither of us are particularly pink people in life. It wouldn't necessarily be one of my favorite colors. And then a couple of weeks later, when we went into Courtney and she showed us the plan, she'd taken the pink door inspiration and kind of gone wild with it, which ultimately... (laughs) Uh, culminated in the pigmented pink render on the outside of the extension and the pink concrete island in the kitchen as well. So we never would have thought of either of those options, that the pink has kind of run through the house as a theme then, and it just gives a really, really nice continuation. And we're delighted yeah. with it. Like we've We've been thinking about the house for so long that all of our ideas, you know, were, you know, were things that you rarely saw at the time as well. So we talk about a pink door now. It's not groundbreaking. You know, there's every second renovation now has a pink door potentially, you know, it, it's, it's, yeah. it, it's kind of par for the course these days. Um, And that, that was also, that's one of the frustrating things when you're, you're planning a build for so long and you suffer delays or you have to save or you have to go back to the drawing board, you know, all of your ideas become less and less modern and groundbreaking as, <laughs> as the days pass um yeah that, that hurt me especially as as I watched the kind of the months and years roll by before I got my hands into my own house it's funny every time I see a pink door now and you see so many on Instagram I actually really annoys me I'm like no it was my idea <laughs> four years ago when I decided I wanted a pink door yeah. but the reality oh, yours is very different though it's the the sunburst thing that's really cool yeah, yeah, no, it it, it is, and it's, we wanted to try and harken back to the mid century and the fifties and what the doors originally in the area would be like. Um, but we walked, we used Stella as an excuse to walk the the suburbs. So we'd pick a different area every evening, and we'd drive whether it was Rathgar, or Anla, Terenure, or Monkstown, or whatever, and we'd look for similar houses 
on you know on suburban roads and we just walk them and see what people had done we'd see what their front doors were like if that's what we were looking for uh we take photos and then we think how can we tweak the ones we like or how can we make this work for for our house so you know we did we did stalk the streets at night um <laughs> but and it worked out well in the end cool and tell me what other things were sort of mid-century inspired because i see you know a lot of the color palette the low brick wall you have running throughout what seems to be the extension, a lot of the kind of the the wood paneled kitchen. So was that kind of your idea already? You knew you wanted, you liked mid-century, did the house inform it? Did the architect help? How did that all come about? Uh, you might have something to add to this, Kira, but I think in in general, and this is something that's really difficult, and I suffer from this massively when it comes to design, way more than Kira, who's very much focused and knows what she wants and is into is into color palettes and very you know clean aesthetics and enjoys interior decor, you know, as a as a passion more so. But I love everything, and I'm we're these days these days we're so exposed to inspiration you're it's everywhere around you on all social media platforms on tv magazines the newspapers are throwing renovations at you so you see amazing things all the time and you want it all but then you realize and this is the one of the biggest learnings and pieces of advice i can give to anyone is that you still you have to work with what you have you can't expect to be able to do what you've seen on instagram if you live, mm-hmm. you know, in a semi-D in Silorgan, um, you really, <laughs> and, it, and it works, it works well in the end though, you, if you're sympathetic to the house that you have and the yeah. site that you have, you'll end up with something beautiful. It doesn't matter that you still like things that other people have done. You'll always like things that other people have done and people will like what you've done. But I think being sympathetic to the house was something that we were, we were very much aligned on. It's like, there's no point in us completely revamping this and people walking by going, that doesn't look like that should be in this area, you know? Yeah. We wanted it to blend in and then for the surprise to be when you, when you got through the doors. Okay. Yeah. And I, like you were talking about the, some of the ideas for the kind of terracotta colored extension were kind of Spain and Mexico, but at the same time, it does have um, a colder European feel in the way it's been executed. So you get a bit of this sort of like, brutalist mid-century inspired vibe on that you're not getting kind of like wait this is a little bit kitschy like do I feel like I'm in a resort like with palm trees everywhere so I see how you struck that balance with with the colors this kind of desat these desaturated pinks and rusts and yellows so that's really cool and the I think the island mimicking the exterior of the extension is so cool and again makes it feel more continuous and not just like okay they just painted their extension pink to be cool to clarify tanya we don't need to paint anything pink to be cool we're we're very cool. <laughs> already cool <laughs> coolest lawyer <laughs> can, you, can you edit that you're clear, out you're clearing all you're clearing all lawyers good names <laughs> with this episode <laughs> do, do one of your, your edit claps there on that last one please <laughs> <laughs> nope i'm keeping that in <laughs> Um, okay. So tell us, so we have a good idea of like how you came about with the scheme. I assume you, you knew you wanted to extend the house a certain size. One question I had was obviously if you do an extension up to 40 square meters, it would be exempt from planning. 
why the extra 10 square meters? Because, you know, it, it is a lot of work. What made you decide that, that it was worth it to do the planning? I think we were probably quite led by Courtney's advice on that. Um, in terms of flow and circulation space, Courtney, obviously, as a qualified architect, has a much better idea than we do in terms of how things are going to work spatially. So we kind of went with her on that. I think she kind of felt, look, it's going to work best as a room and as an extension if you use this extra space. And we kind of thought, look, do we take the space from the garden or do we take the space from the house? And we ultimately thought, look, we're living in the house. Like in Ireland, thankfully, in the past few weeks have been really nice of the summer, but generally you're indoors. So we thought we could use the space indoors. And we weren't in a major rush. We were living in the house. We needed to get a builder. You know, Courtney advises planning might take three or four months. So ultimately, we decided it was worth just going for it. Yeah, the, the time frame around planning wasn't going to impact us massively. So we were, okay. we had it factored in that there's going to be four months of planning involved. So we weren't trying to avoid that. Okay. And to fit in your utility, your downstairs bathroom, et cetera, and make sure they're usable. We, we wanted to stick with that. So make sure we had the size available. And I think we kind of thought, look, we're doing this. Like, let's just do it right. We've hired an architect. This is the recommended space she has suggested to make the room work. So let's just go with it. Yeah, that all makes sense. And again, the benefits of hiring an expert. A lot of people will say, let's just make, let's just do a small extension, you know, just get a builder to do it off some drawing somebody does. But again, some no one will have considered the spatial planning in the way that uh, an expert might and convince you it's not that big a deal because it can feel scary at first if you don't know what it entails and people might object and there's the whole appeals process. But um, how did the planning process go for you? We were relatively lucky. I mean, in terms of managing the planning process, obviously there's different ways you can engage an architect. But as far as I remember, as part of the package that we agreed with Courtney, they were going to manage the planning process for us. So that kind of took the intimidation out of that for us. We didn't have any objection um, from any of our neighbours, thankfully. We did have to change our design slightly. And that was um, it was basically the planning office were concerned that the way our extension was coming out would be overbearing one of our neighbours a little bit. So it meant we had to mm-hmm. put that in slightly, um, which I think it slightly impacts the angles on the extension and how they meet each other. But I think to anyone else, we I noticed it sometimes that would be nice if basically what happened was we lost a little bit of space on our covered terrace. Um, the terrace is still the same size, but the roof doesn't come out as far, so you don't have as much shelter. I notice a slight difference from time to time, but I don't think any other guest or observer would notice the difference. Yeah, in terms of any time you meet a hurdle like that as well, especially when it's an, arch- an architectural thing, it, it opens up a new opportunity so you get to create angles you get to play around with the space in a different way and you you come together as a team and you think okay well how do we reimagine this now that we've had to amend it in this fashion so like as much as you're frustrated that you're losing another month or two and you have to resubmit some plans etc it's it's still enjoyable to kind of to work together and come up with solutions as well so this is also but that's an insight into kind of the way we looked at the project I usually try and see the <laughs> the positive side, <laughs> while Kira would throw mugs at me, saying, "We're losing another two months." <laughs> <laughs> oh God! But no, I I like that sort of reframing of it, and especially when there's other people to consider, like neighbors and people you're going to be living next to for for so long. Speaking of the cover terrace, I love the idea that you create. You wanted to create this like modern porch 
in, in the backyard. I love that. And that probably also helps that continued roof because you are South and Southwest facing. I live in a South and Southwest facing um, house that has loads of glazing at the back and it's actually too hot. Um, so with this extra roof, does that help control some of the light that comes in as well? Yeah, it kind of means that in that back room, and it was something that we were a little bit worried when the terrace initially went up, we were kind of thinking, oh my God, are we cutting out loads of light coming into our room? But then we were thinking, you don't really want direct light coming into your room. You just want enough window space that, you know, you can see the light. So yeah, it means that that room, it never gets, like it's a very, very bright room, don't get me wrong, but you're never sitting there and sunlight's streaming in on you while you're want to watch while you're trying to watch TV or it's streaming in on the television. So yeah that was kind of a we didn't really think about that when we were coming up with the terrace but it does have that added bonus yeah it's it's still it's still bloody hot though in the summer on the hot days like uh, <laughs> like i know classic irish you know complaining it's raining too much and then when it's sunny we complain it's too hot but when you do retrofit and you and you do go through the let's triple glaze and insulate etc and get underfloor heating you realize that you've basically built yourself a, a fleece blanket and wrapped yourself in it for the whole year round yeah I think I think we're going to see a rollback of that because as I've been hearing people talk about installing air conditioning units a lot and we can't continue to build homes this airtight if temperatures are going to continue to rise and houses are getting more and more glazing. And especially when we're obsessed with south facing spaces, it's just not comfortable. Um, So I do think we're going to see that change over the next few years, a little maybe a little bit less obsession with that and maybe people creating little porches and roofs. Like there's a reason those exist in in the American South, right? Exactly. That makes sense. Um, one yeah. thing I, I want to quickly go back to on this with regards to the the rear extension um, and how it was designed. In, like, I suppose Courtney didn't just uh, go from a pink door to this crazy angular pink render. Uh, I, I don't want to give people the impression that we went to an architect with a suburban house and she came back with some you know, ridiculously designed architectural piece uh, like based on Louis Barragan's works over in Mexico. You know, it's uh, <laughs> we, we did say to her specifically, we do not want a rectangle on the back of our house. We want something architecturally designed, something interesting. We want it to be L-shaped. We want the dining space to catch the sun in the evenings. We kind of we very much gave her a, a template and like I think I remember leaving the the meeting with her that day and saying to her, remember, this cannot be a box in the back of the house. So that's where she went creative on it, as opposed to just going wild. Because I, I, I know architects get a bad a bad rap for just designing things that no one can build or afford. Um, so. <laughs> um no, I love that. And I, and I think that's a great brief, and especially I, I think again, we're, I think we're moving on to a new era of extensions and renovation where like we're past, we're in the 2020s. We're not in the 2000s anymore. And what we need, what we demand of like our architecture has evolved because I think everyone has gotten so into it and the box design is a little passe. So there were two things you told me about that you learned a lot, two key things. You, you were telling me about height and about dead space. Um, in the considerations with the extension. So tell me a little bit more about the the height thing, because that was something kind of surprising to me that it was such a, a big learning. So tell us more about that and where this came to the, the, the design conversations with your architect or between you two. Well, height was, look, again, good old Dermot, uh, you know, <laughs> it, like 
all all over the past decade i've dreamed of walking into my living room and the whole thing just expanding to a double height space in front of me um you know floor to ceiling glass and uh feeling like i'm standing on the edge of a of a cliff looking out over the sea in the suburbs but the the, the reality is that a apart from the fact that it precludes you from doing anything on the second floor of your house if you go up from ground level it does impact the ambience in the room and it does impact acoustics especially and as we were on our house hunting mission we felt we like there was there was very few extensions that we came across where we looked around and said wow this works it from all aspects the ones that were too high you're trying to have a conversation and your voice is bouncing around someone has a tv on and it's echoing and you can't have a conversation because the TV is taking over the room and then you can't hear the TV properly. So you're turning up the TV and vice versa. All of those issues were things that we really wanted to avoid as much as everyone expects to walk in. And when they hear the word extension, they think, oh, it's going to have a really high ceiling. It's it's not something that we really wanted. Uh, we and Especially for the dining nook, we wanted that to potentially even have a lower ceiling so that you really get that feeling of intimacy when you're sitting there because the purpose you're sitting there for is socializing and conversation. So we don't want our voices going up into the church rafters. And in the end, it worked out brilliantly that just given how sympathetic we were trying to be to the house itself, that we kept and retained the existing ceiling height throughout. So as you walk from through that front door into the, the rear extension, it feels like you're not leaving the house. It's the original house. Yeah. And that's something, and that's ultimately why we also created the wooden tunnel. So that was a, that was partly an idea of Courtney's too, because I wanted to try and get rid of the bulkhead due to the turn in the stairs. I wanted to square that off. And the Courtney came up with a really cool idea of having this tunnel created there, which also allowed us to have service areas off it, such as the bathroom, cloakroom, plant room, et cetera. But that really does act as a portal from like the old into the new. So that's that's interesting. And that really, the height, and in fairness, the height of the ceilings in the existing house were six to eight inches higher than your average um, mm-hmm. SMED. So we already had the luxury of a little bit of extra height. So really allowed us to make that decision to continue it through. I think that's, that's, a, good, um, that's a good perspective because people are obsessed with the higher the ceiling, kind of just the nicer a home, but not necessarily. And also, you know, maybe that's true if you're renovating a period property that has like exaggerated proportions. And so if you then reduce the extension to kind of the standard, uh, you know, 2.4 meters that, that modern buildings have, it might look off. But like you said, keeping it seamless with the original house and staying true to that also has its own benefits in terms of the coziness, the acoustics. And yeah, it, it doesn't have that same disruption between the two spaces where it just feels stuck on. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Uh, like I took a while to, to come on board as well and to really let go of those couple of ingrained years of design planning I had in my head. <laughs> so it's a good thing she made you wait. It's a good thing she made yeah. you wait. <laughs> exactly. Um, but there, and there are loads of ways around it as well. Like we use the, the skylights. Um, you can like, so say over the living space, you have a skylight with no fins in it. And with that, you usually have a couple of feet uh, leading up to your skylight from your existing ceiling level. If you can see that or if you're near that, it's not impacting acoustics, but it gives you that impression that there's that added height because 
that brightness, that glass draws your eye line up there, draws your draws your attention. Yeah. And we did the same over the kitchen. And we actually did the same over the dining nook, but we put fins in over the dining nook and over the kitchen. So it bring it retains that ceiling height, but also nearly creates an even an, an even higher uh kind of perspective because the those fins draw you up on the on the vertical. So it's we kind of there's there's always ways around it, and you just have to toy with these ideas. I, I love that. I love what you guys did. It looks beautiful. And you're right. It just, they're like all these little tunnels that draw the eye up. You're like, what, what is there? The other thing, and you kind of hinted at this when you're talking about the wood tunnels, the second kind of key learning. Um, and then I'd love to get your kind of biggest takeaways about the emotional roller coaster that is a renovation as we kind of wrap up. You talked about this, this wood tunnel and the separation between the original house and the extension and how you put a lot of services and utilities in there. And you told me about this wanting to avoid dead space. So tell me a little bit more about that and kind of common pitfalls you'd identified. So this is something that we identified based on viewing other houses when we were searching for this house. So I think if you mm-hmm. think about, you know, your three bed semi duty, usually you're going to walk into a hall, you're going to have a kitchen at the back and then on the right hand side, you've got your living area and your dining room. But the problem is when you extend out the back, then what happens to the old dining room? So you end up with this internal room that doesn't have a lot of light, um, obviously, because there's no windows in that room. So it ends up at the back of your extension. And we really noticed that in a lot of houses that we viewed. Um, like even I know people that have rooms like that in their houses and I, it just doesn't really work. So we were really, really glad when Courtney suggested using those internal rooms, as service rooms, which don't need light. So, for example, our old kitchen and our old dining room became our downstairs bathroom the utility, the pantry, the plant room, the cloak room, because none of those rooms actually need light. So that was our worker in that. And that worked out really well. Yeah. And are they, they're wrapped with the wood paneling on either side? So, yeah. So when you're in that timber clad tunnel, they're all disguised doors. So on the left-hand side, you have the door to the plant wow. room, which is obviously our um, air to water pump and the controls. And then on the right hand side, there's concealed doors that open a kind of coat closet. And then there's a door for the bathroom as well. So they're all totally concealed unless you know where the handle is, which sometimes guests don't, which can be a bit awkward, but uh-huh. we know where it is. We found a guest last yeah. week trying to open the door with the light switch as if it was a lift. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a bit of a worry. You kind of have to escort people to, the, to these hidden doors. Yeah. Oh, but it's really cool. It's it's quite playful. And I adore the, the downstairs shower you have. That That is so cool with the starscape ceiling. Um, so it really seems like, you know, like you said, even though you had to make certain sacrifices and things were always more expensive than you thought they'd be, it, it really doesn't seem like a project in which you had to skimp. Like that's that star-spangled bathroom looks, you know, incredible. Look, with, with all these projects, you you always have to, make sacrifices somewhere and the you, your next door neighbor might have a slightly different budget to you and the, you know you, you, you're always going to you'll, you'll spend your time trying to keep up with the joneses if you're watching them you just have to try and maximize what you have and get the most out of it yeah so thanks so much for sharing all of that about the the, the journey thanks so much for sharing all of that about the height and the dead space and i think these are the kind of things that with a good architect they educate you on and things that become almost so like how could you not put all of those rooms between all the, the the living spaces? But I suppose we're so used to thinking in terms of one row of boxes after another that are all connected. 
that it it's really you you need educating. So I suppose when it came to the actual renovation journey itself, what would you like to say as parting words for people kind of looking down the barrel of you know everything you said? What what do people need to be prepared for when there's the actual renovation going on aside of, with you know the expenses and where you're living and and day-to-day life? I'll keep my answer short and sweet because I think Richie probably had a more positive experience than I did. And I, I want to keep <laughs> positivity, not negativity. I think looking back on the renovation, it was probably harder than I expected. It was definitely longer than I expected, but the results are better than I expected. So ultimately, to anyone who's considering this or is in the middle of it, it was all worth it. It was definitely harder than I expected. Yeah. I enjoyed it and I, I was well prepared for it and I drove it like in terms of like wanting this renovation to take place. Yeah. But it is it is one of the toughest undertakings you'll ever go through. There's no sugarcoating it and people aren't being melodramatic because we, everyone has heard that before. But it is it is the yeah. truth. And no matter how organized you are, no matter how good the team around you is, it's still going to take an awful lot of your energy for however long it's going on. So you just have to be prepared for that. And you will meet your threshold and you'll break at times. Um, but having, so I suppose a partner, especially that's that's pulling in the same direction as you really helps. Like myself and Kira used to, like she'd be in charge of one supplier, I'd be in charge of another. Uh, so we'd, we'd very much split up the workload. When Kira was at her lowest, I'd make sure to be at my highest, which would obviously infuriate her even <laughs> further. Um, <laughs> But, you know, and then the odd time that I was potentially deflated in any way, Kira would always pick up on it and she'd go in the opposite direction and and bring me back to my baseline. So it is, it's a test, it's tough, but like as much as it sounds like such a cliche, but it really is worth it in the end. And I think you end up with something that works so well for you and your lives and Definitely, I'm kind of surprised that we don't have more regrets about the build. But because we were so involved, we spent hours and sleepless nights probably thinking everything through, discussing it together. We have ended up with something that we're really, really happy with and just works for us. So it was worth it. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the most surprising things for me is that we don't have more regrets. And maybe those regrets will develop and maybe in... 10 years time when you know there's quadruplets running around that uh <laughs> we kind of go we probably should have added those extra bedrooms <laughs> but, <laughs> well you but still right, can <laughs> <laughs> right now it's uh it, for how we live our lives myself Kira, and Stella, it's it's the perfect house well and i think that's probably a learning in in itself like you thought you'd have more regrets because through it you were probably so in so stressed about every decision that every small thing that changed or that you had to give up felt like such a that it was maybe chipping away at the overall vision but in the end you're like oh my god we still pulled it off because we were giving it our all and so maybe for people to realize like we're gonna like you said if something goes wrong it's an opportunity to have another creative solution to it and sure the original vision might change, but at the end of the day, most of your day-to-day experience won't be focused on the slightly different angle of the extension. And and like you said, you'll the, the result will be way worth it. Totally. And fighting for uh, like I keep, I, like in fairness, you're not allowed to wrap up, Tanya, because uh, you're the only person <laughs> who wants to listen to us talk about our house. 
<laughs> none of our friends and family will speak to us anymore because all they hear is house, 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 house. <laughs> so the rest of the world can hear it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if people if people are still tuned in, I think we're doing well. Yeah, in terms of like fighting your corner and stand, like if you want something, you know, don't don't just bend to the whims of a builder or or an architect even stick to your guns throughout the build like if you really are passionate about something if you really feel something will add value to your life go for it and stick with it and it's it's tough it's tough on site when you have people telling you it's too difficult to do or it's too expensive to do or whatever their people's trades especially their first reaction to everything you propose that isn't exactly what they turned up to do is can't be done ah jesus it can't be done five minutes later it's usually absolutely fine and they're saying oh yeah, yeah. it's not too bad that's a good idea so don't don't yeah d- dig in and be prepared for that it's a it's, it's it's a long battle of wills between you the house and all the people that are working with you on the house love it thank you both so much for such a passionate recounting of the tale of your house and it's really cool to see it come to life and i mean you're only in it for three months right yeah uh so it's really cool to see and it, it already feels quite lived in from just seeing behind you and on Instagram. And also you didn't even mention you also planned a wedding and threw a wedding in the house throughout a renovation. Uh so well well done pulling that off as well. That's another feat that's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. And congratulations, you guys have, have really built something together that's awesome. And I think that's the other opportunity with the renovation. If both people really care about the the project in in itself it's a really cool thing to build with with your partner it's just something that you know you might not have the time to do in the future if you know if you guys if people have kids and jobs get more high stakes it's a it's a really cool thing to do when you still have the time we're very proud of it yeah and i'd, I'd encourage people as well to do an instagram account um, as as contrived as many of them might seem it's actually a really good outlet for stress relief during the project. So any of those dark days where you're struggling with the lack of progress that you're seeing on site, et cetera, posting a little picture of a detail and kind of just focusing on how nice that picture looks and that little detail looks and getting a few likes for it or whatever it is, you know, is is actually really comforting. Um, and it's a nice way around realizing that you've achieved lovely things, even if the builders haven't achieved as much as you'd expected th- that week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, love that. Well, on that point, uh, I will release you guys to your evening. Thank you so much for uh, telling us the story of how Stella got her house back. And uh, I'll let you attend to Stella, who is apparently enjoying herself in the garden and can't wait to see more pictures of different corners of the house and the details. And um, we will put all the people you loved working with in the show notes. And people can follow along with you guys on Instagram at how Stella got her house back. Thank you both so much. And yeah, take care. Thank you. See ya. Thank you for tuning in to the Interiors Podcast. To learn more about our guests or anything we mentioned today, please refer back to the show notes. You can also follow us on Instagram at the Interiors Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast today, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a review on whatever platform you're listening in on and sharing the podcast with your family and friends. Until next time.